are hardly the sorts of things that the world sets before us to market the church. What we come here to do and to be is to be invested in the church, to be rhythmically involved in worship every Lord's Day. Things as mundane as membership and formal connections to other churches and ministries are essential to what we do. And today we're going to hear about another one. I would ask you this question. How many of us came to worship today in pursuit of a greeting, both to give one and to receive one? I've rarely heard from anyone in their pursuits and searches for a church and a body with which to worship. I have rarely heard that they have a hunger for something as simple as a greeting. Before the end of the sermon today, it will be clear that greetings have everything to do with the gospel. Our valuation of them, our ability to extend them to others. In fact, we're going to expound on one verse. A verse that compels us to greet one another. With that point in mind, and given our general sense of a, a lackluster feel towards something as common as a greeting, let's go to God in prayer and ask the Lord to open our hearts and minds to the depths of his word. Bow your heads with me. Mighty God, we live our lives in pursuit of experience. We live our lives in pursuit of things that light up and make noises. For this reason, Lord God, we are hungry for travel. We're hungry to see the great wonders of the world. We're hungry for performances and video games. So many of us have so little hunger for a well-meant, sincere, and holy greeting. Mighty God, I pray that this basic gesture so common to human existence might be given its proper place today, especially in light of the work of Jesus Christ, the great Savior, the great gesture of fellowship and communion between God and man. May we leave this place glorifying him, we pray. In Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit, amen. Trinitas Church, if you've got your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we will read verse 20. When we're done, I'll say this is God's word. You can respond. Thanks be to God. If you're visiting us, at that point, we all stand up. Put our hands in the air and sing a short verse, the Gloria Patri. If you've got your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians 16, 20. And it reads, All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is God's word. Friends, you can all be honest, this verse makes you a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? It tells us to greet one another with a holy kiss, and frankly, we don't often greet almost anyone in our lives with a kiss. Seems strange. Before expounding on this gesture, I thought it would take a moment to tell you some of the revelations I've come across in uh, doing reconnaissance of common cultural greetings. I thought we ought to do this because we're met with one here that seems foreign to us, and in fact, we live in a world that is so full of gestures of greeting that are foreign right here and now. Many of you know that there are kissing cultures. Really, all of those cultures that have a, a romantic language at their base, that's something like Italian, French, or Spanish, they do a whole lot of kissing. True story. 
You might know, for example, that the Italians will do a blow kiss on each side of your cheeks, left and right, upon meeting you. The French do the same. In fact, uh, you'd want to be careful, because when the French greet with a kiss, they go in for the left cheek first, followed by the right cheek. Now, I'm going to let you know, this does not sound like a pleasant greeting to me. This whole thing just causes me social anxiety. As soon as I learned about these types of greetings, the first thing I did was go to YouTube looking for kiss greeting fail compilations because I know they must exist. I know. In fact, it turned out that there were not many kiss greeting fail compilations, but I did read the comments where I read about these various sorts of cultural um, types of greeting. One gal from Germany writes, in Germany, you start with the right cheek, girls only. And when I moved to Rome, I almost broke my nose on at least 10 occasions. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I don't know what I would be doing. Apparently, I wouldn't know, but the Mexican kiss greeting, unlike the French, is just one cheek. And this website didn't even tell me which one to go for first. See, this is what I'm talking about. Nothing romantic about this. Maybe you didn't know, but the Dutch actually have a triple kiss greeting. Which leads me to say, not everything has to be a competition. My goodness. At a Dutch birthday, the way it actually works is like this. See, the Dutch word for congratulations, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, is gefeliciteerd. And the way that you go about this triple kiss greeting on a birthday is you go ge kiss Felicity teared. That's three kisses with a lot of spit in between in your face right here. Remarkable. The only real takeaway I had from that article is I hope never to find myself at a Dutch birthday party, all right? But see, not only are there kissing cultures, there are also non-kissing cultures. I don't know if you know this. Certain cultures in this world literally have no place for kissing at all, not even in intimate settings. We read about the Serrano tribe in Bolivia, various tribes in northern India, the greater part of the nation of Somalia, they just don't kiss at all. Isn't that crazy? I read one story about when Europeans arrived in South Africa. And when the Tongi tribe of South Africa saw the Europeans kissing, on one account they said, look at them, they eat each other's saliva and dirt. I totally want to give them the saliva part, but where are they getting the dirt? I assume it's because people would from time to time have dirty faces, and especially, as you imagine, in the age of exploration. They're not only non-kissing cultures, they're actually kiss-replacing cultures. I'm going to tell you about this. Cultures that have a gesture very much like a kiss, but not a kiss, that replaces the kiss. One of the most popular of these is what the Maori people of New Zealand, that's the indigenous tribes of New Zealand, called a hangi. What it means is a sharing of breath. If you're wondering what this is, it's two people rubbing noses back and forth like this and smelling each other's breath. Why would you want to swap saliva when you could do that? This apparently extends all throughout the South Pacific and even up into Alaska, where the Inuit people, some of the indigenous tribes there, do the exact same thing. And it occurred to me that maybe this was popular because planting a big, wet kiss on someone's cheek in sub-zero temperatures might leave an ice crystal there for the rest of the day. And perhaps, perhaps, that's why they would prefer what we have just seen is called 
something quite different, a hongi, a nose wrinkle in sharing a breath. But there are other cultures as well. We'll call them kiss conservative cultures. I don't know if you know this, but in ancient China, in ancient China, kissing was on par with intercourse. I know that sounds crazy and absolutely confined to the bedroom. You would never do it in public. It's the only place where it was to occur. And this made me think for a moment what a scandalous title of that book written by Joshua Harris would be, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Think about how strange that is. You did something that is on par with consummating a marriage to say goodbye to dating? I mean, this is bizarre. Bizarre, strange. Apparently in ancient China, you wouldn't even want to kiss dating goodbye. Best to just say goodbye. This is paralleled by many other cultures. Apparently in Vietnam, you would never want to kiss in front of your children, only in the house and never in public. Of course, in Japan, one of the most common greetings is actually a bow, no physical touch at all necessarily, ranging from a slight nod to a full 90-degree waistband. See, as, as wild as all of these different types of greetings seemed, when I finally got to reading about the description of an American greeting, I said, wow, that really is exactly what we do. The same website said this about an American greeting. Although sometimes just a smile accompanies the greeting, a firm handshake is a common greeting between males. It happens less commonly between a male and a female. Women tend to shake hands with one another only if it is their first time meeting or if it is a business situation and female friends often greet with a hug. And I said, yeah, that sounds right. Saw some Christian brothers last night. We did not get past a back pat. We did some handshakes and we were all fine. That was it. The last culture that I want to talk about is perhaps the subculture of Seattle. Seattle chill is a real thing. If you're not from here, you know about it. It's real. I have discovered that in Seattle, we have this personal space bubble. You might be asking, how big is this bubble? Well, I've discovered that it is as big as any room that you happen to be sitting in. What this means is that everyone here right now, you're already way too close to me and one another for comfort. We're just not sure about this entire thing right here. And once you know that, it explains everything. You know that sour look that people have on their face in Seattle when you walk by them? That's because you've already invaded their personal space if they can see you. You got it? That's why. What they're really saying with that look on their face is, really? Gonna go and do that? See, you virtually went in for a three-kiss greeting on this person. They go, really? You're gonna do that? Real cool, man. Sicko. That's what they're thinking. See, this is the culture we live in. Fact is, these greetings that we speak of all are totally intuitive. And what Paul is getting at in the passage before us is that no matter how intuitive and natural and mechanical they are in your culture, we have got to do something more as believers than simply go through the motions of a greeting. There's a danger in these intuitive manners of greeting people. There's a danger of them simply becoming mechanical and insincere. Ask yourself if this is a problem that you face. Therefore, when we come to this holy kiss admonition, friends, I want to be clear, this command, the emphasis or accent on this command lies not on the word kiss, but on holy. To put the matter simply, Paul's aim and his concern is not that every believer find themselves kissing other believers, but whatever gesture of greeting they engage in, it be sincere, set apart, sanctified or holy. 
This is good news. Many of you know that um, we're really serious about what the Bible says as believers. And you'll be glad to know that when we did our new member interview with a family last week, I didn't walk in the room and say, listen, everybody, before the end of this meeting, we're all going to be kissing. Because that's what Paul says. We actually understand this very well. Parents, when you say to your children, and they're right about 16, make sure to drive the speed limit. The command is not for them to drive, but to do it with the speed limit. If they prefer to drive bikes, that's not a problem. But the command is really about heeding the limitations of the law. Likewise, when Paul says, make every effort to live a quiet and peaceable life and to work with your hands, the command is not saying that everybody has to have a craft with their hands as if you cannot work in communications. LaVon's over here going, man, wait a second, I'm a running back, not a receiver. Lord, how do I heed your word? It all fits. The command, despite its specificity, doesn't require that we all have one type of vocation, but it does require that we do it with all of our might. Likewise, this command to greet one another with a holy kiss, the emphasis is on it being sincere. We know this for a variety of reasons. See, friends, the gospel is about every language, tongue, culture and tribe being gathered to jesus christ it's not about imposing one language one set of customary greetings one culture on the whole world hence we read the command as we do but we have to ask this question what does it mean to give a holy and sincere greeting therefore One of the remarkable things about this is that to really give a sincere greeting, something you do in public, it has everything to do with the person that you are in private, everything to do with the person that you are when no one else can see. I'm going to tell you three things about a sincere greeting that I hope you will take with you today. The first aspect of a sincere greeting which precedes that moment where custom triggers in your mind that you ought to respond with a certain gesture. One of the marks of a sincere greeting that you take into a situation before you get there is the ability to take notice of other people. And this is so much more significant than we give it credit for. The ability to notice other people is the opposite of self-absorption and pride. Total infatuation with all of the things you want to do and all of the things you're interested in. It is the ability to value people as more important than your pursuits, more important than your recreation, more important than your vocation, more important than your rest. Single most interesting, most unpredictable, most creative downright magical objects that you will ever encounter are other people. And believing that starts with noticing them. I would submit that you know that you really have a capacity to notice people when that extends to the youngest and smallest people in our midst, our kids. See, custom comes in when you see an adult who is worthy of respect according to the measures of the world. But when you voluntarily bend down to say hello to someone who's half your size, you're clearly noticing people. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever whoever wants to be great among you, 
He sets before him a little child and says, whoever receives one of the least of these has received me. Trinitas, the church today believes that our kids above all else need programs. That our kids above all else, they need each other. I'm going to tell you something. Our kids above all else need every single one of us who's over the age of 18, who's an adult, to take interest in them. Bosserman family had the privilege to go to Disneyland a little while back after a long, long day of rides, of which my youngest son found most of them to be very scary. He took a ride on the Disneyland Railroad where the conductor of the train parked the train, turned around, and looked at my four-year-old and introduced himself as a man by the name of Alan and asked my son his name as well. They had a brief conversation about the train a brief conversation about Disneyland, and I will tell you the highlight of my son's trip to the happiest place on earth was not any ride or attraction. It was Alan, the train conductor, who said hi to him. We underestimate how powerful these greetings are. Some of my favorite images from the men's retreat this year are actually of Scott Charnley and Chris Thrower engaging our young men in games of, I believe, chess was it Pokemon? Taking time for these kids, noticing them, speaks of a sincere and genuine love for God's people. Sincerity starts with noticing. Second thing I'll say about sincerity, see, noticing is the baseline for a sincere greeting. The second part is actually engaging a spiritual discipline lost on God's people today of painting people at their best. See, when we have downtime, many of us go straight into self-centered daydreams, projections of ourselves at our best and our successes being carried out. Let me tell you something. It is the duty of every believer to paint your brothers and sisters in the most glorious and true light. It means bringing before your mind actively and not passively, but actively your brothers and sisters' strengths manifest gifts and admirable deeds. Having a portrait of them that is holy and rich. This, if anything, is what Philippians 2.3 means when it says to regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you have an active upkeep, upkeep of the image of your neighbor? Because I'll tell you something, if you do not do this, if you do not engage in this discipline, very quickly, the portrait of your brother and sister will begin to fade into something ugly because very simply, as we just confessed a moment ago, we are all sinners. And if not just sinners, we're all pretty darn weird. We have much to be offended by others. I'll have you know something, Trinitas Church, that these portraits we paint of one another, even the brightest, most wonderful portrait of your neighbor that you could paint actually fails to do justice to the glorious image of Christ that they will bear at the resurrection. We cannot even do justice to the glory for which one another is destined. The second aspect of sincerity is to actually paint people at their best, it is to pray them unto their best as well. 
Most of us in this room, like most Christians in America, we are, for lack of a better phrase, crisis prayers. That is to say, it takes a crisis to get us praying for anybody, and ultimately the contents of our prayers are for God to remove people's crises, to make bad things disappear. And you might have noticed, he doesn't always do that. We are not only to be crisis prayers for one another, we are actually to pray for our brother and sisters that they would actually become victors in the midst of suffering. We are to pray for our brothers and sisters to shine, for their virtues to come forth in the midst of adversity. We are to pray for our brothers and sisters when things are difficult and when all is well. We are to pray for people to mature in Christ. I know it's difficult to have any sort of regimented prayer life at all, but I will tell you something like this. The warmth of your greeting, the warmth of your handshake and smile is something different when powerful prayer for your neighbor lies behind it. This is what a holy greeting looks like, a greeting that packs the punch of real spiritual discipline behind it. So that when you actually meet with someone in this body and greet them, that greeting is sanctified and set apart for something special. Sometimes the best way to understand the positives of one of Paul's commands is to understand the opposite. Let me expound for you three qualities of an insincere, unholy greeting. And let us examine ourselves if we've fallen prey to them. Many of us carry about, instead of taking notice of others, with self-pity. See, if pride prevents us from noticing anyone, maybe even ourselves, and how ridiculous we're being, self-pity prevents us from noticing anyone but ourselves in our own plights. When you carry about in self-pity, when someone comes to you and says, good day, great to see you, how are you? We will always count it as insincere. Maybe you've even react with a little vitriol before when someone says, how are you? And said something like, do you really want to know? To which the answer is, I'm not sure anymore, (laughs) usually. See, when you react like Jack Nicholson and a few good men and say something like, you can't handle the truth. No one really wants the truth at that moment. But you've set yourself up for failure. By the same right, when you are carrying on in self-pity, you cannot notice other people. You cannot really say good day, great to see you, how are you, or have a warm handshake because in fact, your total infatuation with your own situation inhibits you from noticing Friends, I would challenge you to consider that when you say to yourself, no one really cares, if you're not really saying, I'm struggling so hard that I don't really care about you. Not only does an insincere greeting replace noticing with self-pity, it is the opposite when we are in private of painting a portrait of our neighbor at their best. It is when we are in private tearing our neighbor down with the very opposite of what our greeting professes to lay before them. When Paul is talking about the sorts of sins into which fallen humanity has delved, he mentions in a row gossips and slanders. 
The sad truth about so many of us is some of our deepest relationships with other people are actually built on the foundation of commiserating about others whom we don't like. Which is the worst foundation imaginable for any friendship because once you've fully slain that other person that you like to complain about, what are you going to do with your vitriolic speech now but turn on one another? There's nothing worse than a greeting behind which there actually lies constant complaining, constant commiserating about the very person who's greeted. This turns our greetings into an unholy lie. An unholy lie. And it exchanges wonder at the glory of other people by being dazzled by our own acting skills and ability to put up a front and to project things we don't really mean. The third aspect of insincerity beyond self-pity and beyond tearing down instead of painting is flattery in the place of prayer. Let me explain what I mean. See, flattery is actually a sin that is rarely recognized in the world we live in today. You know that it's actually sinful? It's actually sinful to overstate other people's abilities and gifts and qualities. It's actually sinful to overstate them, and especially when it comes as a compensation for the fact that you know you've been tearing someone down in private, so you think you're going to repay them with a currency you don't even have in public, pretend to regard them more highly than you've spoken of them to others. Proverbs 27, 14 says, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. It's talking about flattery. Somebody is singing your praises at 6 a.m., you know that that must be disingenuous because no one has time for that at that hour. It's danger. Sad truth is we live in a culture that is filled with flattery. I understand the rationale of the everybody gets a trophy thing with your kids' sports teams. But some of this is just outright flattery filled with ridiculousness. Some of these trophy names are insane. You got kids who are getting trophies. Tommy, you get a trophy for having scored the most goals for the other team. This is strange. We need to walk with our kids through real losses. Loss is an important thing, and we got to be able to say to our kids, not that loss is great, but that loss is tough, and we gain character through that. Flattery is what we fall into. When we consider these aspects of an insincere greeting, how many of us can say, I have given many insincere greetings? If the aspects I described as marks of a true and sincere greeting are what they are, how many of us can say we have seldom ever given a true greeting? The only question now is where we rank an insincere greeting in the list of sins. I'll tell you one way to do it. We might ask this question. Who is the worst demon in the Gospels? Many of us know that Rome was a sort of demon, a powerful, beastly nation, indifferent to unjust, unjust trials and those executed unjustly. Many of us know that Israel was a sort of demon, a rebel people with a terrorist history, ready to kill anyone who they counted as soft. Many of us know the religious authorities were sorts of demons, these chief priests 
who were so power hungry they could not coexist with Jesus, the Son of God. Many of us know in the Gospels there are these actual demons tormenting men, women, and children exercised by Jesus. And yet we all know not one of these was the worst. There's only one man in the Gospels of whom it is said in Luke 22, 3, that Satan entered him. That man's Judas. Judas is not famous for pounding nails into Christ's wrist. He's not famous for putting him on trial. He is not famous for standing in the crowd and shouting, crucify him. What's he famous for, Trinitas Church? Betraying Jesus with a kiss. That is betraying Jesus with an unholy greeting. Matthew 28, 48 to 50 says this, Now he who was betraying him gave them, that's Jesus' enemies, a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. I got a question for you. How many disingenuous greetings and unholy kisses came from Judas before this one. How many do you think? He was stealing from Christ from the beginning and the man he was in private was not the man who greeted him on a regular basis. You look at the marks of an unholy, insincere greeting, let me tell you something, Judas stopped noticing Jesus, the miracle worker, the savior, the son of God, a long time ago, and he was filled with self-pity that this Jesus was letting them down, leading them straight to crosses to die, and not to a kingdom and glory. This Judas was undoubtedly in the practice, not of painting Jesus at his best, but in all his thoughts and internal conversations, tearing him down in the conversations of his mind. And so at this pivotal moment, when Judas should have been praying for Jesus, should have been praying Jesus' best, we find him paying him the words of pure flattery, saying, Hail Rabbi, when in his heart he meant, die, you idiot. Strong case could be made that the single most satanic gesture in all of the Gospels is nothing other than an insincere greeting turned into a sign to point out who to murder. So I ask you again, have we not all done the same to our neighbor? And if we've all done the same to our neighbor, and Jesus says, whatsoever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me, I just have one question for you. What do we deserve for such an unholy and insincere code of conduct? I'm not going to mince words with you today. The answer is on Jesus' lips, and it is clear. We deserve nothing whatsoever but hell, eternal conscious torment, separation from God himself in the company of no one at all but others like ourselves. And it's this truth that makes the gospel so wonderful. Did you know that the gospel is all about an undeserved but genuine greeting? Some of the most amazing words in all of scripture come to us in Matthew 28, 9. 
I want you to hear this. Three days after Jesus had been betrayed, after he had been crucified and he had been put in the grave, he rose again from the dead and listened to what he says to his disciples who have just learned about his empty tomb. It says, and behold, and Jesus met them and greeted them. Jesus, who could have met them and said, every last one of you left me for dead. You abandoned me. You were ashamed of me. But greetings. But greetings. The most incredible thing in this passage is that these men immediately know that Jesus is sincere. And we read that they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. How do you suppose they knew this greeting was sincere? You might say, well, he rose from the dead. That was true. Well, how did they know he didn't rise from the dead to come and get them? As Jim Carrey once put it, if he had been Jesus on the cross, he would not have said, Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. He would have said, I'm telling my dad. (laughs) He's going to get you. How did they know? I'll tell you, all of those marks of sincerity They're manifested by our God above all else. If a sincere greeting proceeds from the ability to notice other people, I have news for you. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that in eternity past, that's before you were born, before you were conceived, God took notice of you. He never began to notice you. He has noticed you from all eternity past, and the Bible calls this foreknowledge. He has foreknown you. He has foreloved you. He loved you before he made this world. And your belief in him is the fruit of that taking note in eternity past. If you are in Christ Jesus, God's love for you, believe it or not, has no beginning, not even the day you believed or the day you were baptized. It's eternal. God didn't just take notice of us and Jesus did not just speak in the capacity of a God who took notice of us. He painted a better picture of you in his eternal mind than the picture that you and I have made for ourselves. All of our days and all of our sins were written in his eternal decrees. He knew about them before any one of them came to pass and yet God has determined to paint you better in the words of romans eight twenty nine, it says for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren when god looks at you believers in jesus christ he has painted you in the image of his son and destined you for that same glory friends i will tell you this god In Christ has not only noticed you, he has not only painted you better, but boy, did he ever pray for you. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross with what is called his high priestly prayer in John 17. And in fact, the whole cross, whole cross, Jesus dying is itself like a prayer. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, Father. And the Father does not deny the prayers of his son. He just doesn't do it. 
This remarkable work of Jesus Christ was meditated on by one of the great church fathers in the medieval period. His name was Bernard of Clairvaux. He was this mystical theologian enraptured with love for Christ. And he is a man in whom theology collides with poetry. And what he said Jesus was is he is like the great kiss. See, in Christ, the eternal God makes loving contact with humanity forever. He is that point where God and man are perfectly joined in one affectionate just gesture, one hug, one warm embrace. He is that point where whether you like the hongi greeting or not, where Christ breathes on you with the breath of his spirit, fills us with his holy presence. But I'm going to tell you something about this Bernard of Clairvaux. This theologian of divine love did not shudder to warn of hell. Friends, you can only imagine what it means if we should reject this gesture of the eternal God in such kindness and goodness and truth to send his son into the world and say we have no need of him. So let me lay this on you. If you were with us today and you are an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, I ask you, will you spurn this divine gesture as a curse? You have only a short time. You don't have a long time. If you reject the company of God, there is only one other set of company you can have, and that is his enemies. Please run to Jesus Christ today. Receive him as Lord. Receive him as Lord. Talk with me after the service. Talk with an elder after the service. I'll share the gospel with you and walk you through the waters of baptism and call you a brother and a sister in Christ. If you're a believer and you're with us today, I have one question for you. Will you use those same lips with which you praise God to tear down your brothers in private and have the audacity to give them a greeting in public? Or will you rather conform your heart and conform your ways to Christ, calling on the Spirit to help you in that endeavor? I do hope that you will, because this will be one unholy meeting every Lord's Day if we do not. Let us greet one another with a holy gesture of greeting. Bow your heads with me. Mighty God, We confess that we, we have downgraded in our hearts and minds this gesture of a greeting. Lord, we have neglected that which precedes it. We come to one another with such self-absorption that we can rarely in any authentic way extend it. And I pray, Lord God, that you would change our hearts, change our hobbies, change our focus into one of praying for one another, painting one another, hoping the best for one another noticing one another so that we can greet one another in sincerity and love. Mighty God, I pray that the mark, the mark of this church and the mark of all your churches would not be how much we have, that the mark of all of these churches would not be something as external as the face that we wear, but rather that it would be marked by sincerity, Lord. Pray that when people come into your church all throughout this land, they would meet people for the first time who are filled with sincerity, sincere love for one another, and a sincere willingness to receive 
any newcomer as a brother or sister. In Jesus' name we pray, by your mighty spirit, amen.